Luke chapter 11. And so we will open up this passage this morning. I don't know about you, but you might like the game Jenga. Anybody ever played the game Jenga? You know, I'm sure most of you are aware of that game. And the point of that game is to see how many blocks that you can pull away from the bottom, place on the top, without the tower completely falling over. That's the whole point, right? So if you pull out that crucial block, what happens to the tower? It collapses, it crumbles, it falls apart. And so today, as we look at this passage where Jesus is giving us what we call the Lord's Prayer, as we come to the Lord's Prayer and what the Lord is teaching us and his disciples, I'm convinced that if we remove prayer and the reasons why we pray out of our life, we begin to be like that tower block of Jenga blocks. And life will feel unstable. It will, life will feel like it's just going to collapse, going to crumble at any moment. And so I pray as we look at this passage this morning that you will be encouraged about what the Lord teaches us about prayer. Many of you might know the Lord's Prayer. You, may, you might have spoken it from a child, memorized it. Uh, if you're like me, you probably sang the Lord's Prayer just to try to remember um, when you repeat it over and over again in our church in North London, we quote it very often in our worship to remind us of what the Lord has told us. And when we come to the Gospels and we look at the prayer, we actually see it two times in the Gospels. We see it once in Matthew, which is the most common place in the, the Sermon on the Mount where he's, he's teaching, he's giving a monologue, instructing of the Lord's Prayer. But the other one is here in Luke 11. It's a more, what I, in my mind it seems is more of an intimate setting. It's a response to a question. It's more of a teaching opportunity uh, to a, his disciples. And so here it is. If you look with me in verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now as we begin reading this, one thing that we immediately see is that the rest of the section here is a response to a request, a request from the disciples saying, teach us to pray. Now whatever the reason that prompted this question, I don't think we're under, we see that they know that John taught his disciples. They might have seen Jesus coming back from prayer. They might have heard him. We do have other parts of the scripture where we see that they can hear him praying or they know he's gone to pray. And so for whatever reason, they realize we need to be praying. And so they ask, teach us to pray. And so the remaining of the section is the response to that request. Now, if I can be honest with you, personally, this year, I've been challenged by that little phrase that the disciples have asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And I was challenged because how often do I utter those words? How often do we utter the words, Lord, Teach me to pray. 
Now, I'm not sure about you, but I can, I'm very good at complaining. I'm sure you guys do not complain anyway. I'm very easy to complain to my family, my friends. I'm easy to complain. It's easy for me to complain to God about how life isn't going how I want it to go. Or I get upset because I'm not getting what I want or what I think I need. And so I complain. Now, some we might have to think of prayer. We try to understand what it is we might think through, you know, the, the implications, the theological implications of it, or like what's the purpose of it, what's the reasons why, and all these questions might come around it. But how often do we just sit back and do we ask our Savior, teach me to pray? I want to talk to you better. I want to know you more. I want to take the relationship that you have given me and make it better. So Lord, teach me to pray. In other parts of scripture we read, pray without ceasing. We're encouraged to pray for the sick. We read in the New Testament that we need to be taking all of our prayers, all our petitions to God with thanksgiving. And so we are to pray. And so we should be asking the Lord, teach us to pray. I was challenged by this question once. If someone would ask you, you maybe think for a moment, maybe a person at your job, maybe your child, maybe an unbelieving family member or neighbor might ask you, why do you pray? How would you answer that question? Why do you pray? What's the point? Why would you pray? I mean, in the news, we see people going to particular places to pray. We see images of our minds of people maybe bowing down or maybe a rosary or particular words of prayer. And Jesus here is teaching us that this prayer, why we pray, I think we'll see, is because it's to show a dependent hope on the Lord for our future. And my goal today is that as we look to this passage that we are encouraged that the Lord's prayer, Jesus' prayer here, is a prayer of a dependent hope that we can pray unashamedly. Jesus taught his followers to pray with a dependent hope. And so as we look at this passage and the examples that follow the prayer, I think we can learn three things. We can learn about our dependent hope. We can learn about our persistence, and we can learn about our faith. And so if you have your passage here, look at with me at verse 2. Actually, I'll just read verse 1 and carry on through verse 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. When we look at this prayer, we can just really see right here in the English text, it's just four sentences that we need to remember. And what these, what these phrases are doing, this first phrase, what it does, it immediately recognizes who God is. He is our Father. 
He is hallowed. He is our hope. And we are utterly dependent upon him. Now, I've always loved the word hallowed. To me, it's kind of a funny word. And so I always try to see how many people in the last seven days have actually used the word hallowed. I'll take a show of hands. Who used it in the last seven days outside of the church building? All right. We got one. That's pretty good. And when I begin to think in our normal conversation, how do we use the word hallowed? And the only time I can think of that when I use the phrase is when I'm talking about a particular place. Using it when you're talking about a special place where something great happens. Some people think of a sports ground, maybe a stadium of some sort, an, an old stadium, uh, a historical place. Um, a few years ago, I remember we went to um, France in Normandy with my, my dad. And the feeling was overwhelming as you walk through the cemetery there. And you're walking on such hallowed ground, a place where something great and significant happened. It's a hallowed place, something that's set apart now, something that it's almost, you cannot describe the feelings, but where something very real happened there. This idea of hallowed, it carries the weight that's almost indescribable. For all that we know that has been revealed about God, all that he is, all that hallowed he is, he is far above what we are. He is hallowed. He is God. And that is who we are coming before when we pray. This is the one we are coming before when we pray, a hallowed God. But it's not just a hallowed God. We, we are coming before a God, a hallowed Father, with the focus that is actually beyond this world. Look, Jesus says, when you pray, you pray, our Father, hallowed be your name. And what's the next phrase? Not only are we praying to remember who we are praying to, but also that there is a place that is far greater than our current situations. That is our hope. And so when we pray, we're praying with that kind of hope. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been many, many times I want to end my prayer at this moment. Your kingdom come. That's what we're longing for. I'm not sure about, about your life, how it has gone in the past, or how it's been recently, but my heart has, has been longing for this new kingdom. And do you remember what Revelation gives us about this new kingdom? John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city coming down out of heaven. I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. But it doesn't end there. He says, He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things will be gone. 
and he is making everything new. That should be in our mind, Jesus says, when we begin to pray. So when we pray, we are saying, our Father, hallowed be your name. I mean, we live in a world that's crying out for something greater than what we have. I mean, just on the news last night and this morning, there's crime, there's violence, there's family troubles, there's suffering, there is grief. We live in a corrupted world. And so when we pray, our eyes should be looking up towards God. Because if we keep our eyes focused on this world, this temporary world, we can find ourselves completely overwhelmed with heartache, depression, and hurt, and get weighted down in life. And so Jesus says, when we pray, we pray, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. But until then, we pray with this hope, and we pray depending on the Father we are praying to. Look here, he says, give us our daily bread in verse 3, and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. These next three phrases now turn our attention to the fact that we are dependent upon this sovereign Father. Whether we want to admit it or not, all of us at some level are dependent upon someone else. I mean, we're all this way from the time we're born until the time we die. Yes, no doubt, we work very hard. We have responsibilities. Many times because of that, I don't think we realize the need for asking God to continue to provide for our daily provisions. Because I dare say most of us have never been in a situation where we need to ask like it. Now where we live, we have rough sleeper homeless people are very common. We have one that sleeps on our front porch at our church. We have asylum seekers. We have people who leave their oppressed countries by walking overnight over the borders, taking rafts to Europe to seek asylum. They don't know if they will make it. We have Christians in our church who have experienced these things. And there are many Christians across the world who are so in need when they pray, give us our daily bread. They mean it. And they are completely in need of food. When we pray, we need to recognize the one to whom we are praying to. And the fact that this current life in 2019 is not the eternal one. That one's yet to come. And so until then, we are dependent upon our Father for our daily provisions to give us each day Our daily bread. And we are dependent on him not only for that, but also for the forgiveness of our sins. Not only are we people who are dependent, but we live in this corrupted world, but we're corrupt. How many of you ever done anything stupid? All right. How many ever used the phrase, oh, that was stupid? I wish I wouldn't have done that. I mean, that's it's a common phrase, like, oh. Why did I say this? I should not have done this this way. This was a mistake. And that's dealing 
and interacting with just people, our families, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors, how much more do we disobey our Heavenly Father? All the time, our thoughts, our attitudes, our motives. And so again, our minds focused on the kingdom and humbling ourselves to ask for forgiveness. But the prayer goes on. It goes further. We must forgive others as well. Another pastor wrote that the more we realize our forgiveness of our sins, the more we can forgive others. The more it's difficult, see that it's difficult to forgive other people when we think that we're in the right. When we think, when we have an incorrect view of ourselves, it's difficult to forgive other people who've, wrong, you know, who've wronged us if we think we've never done anything wrong. One pastor said, the more you rejoice in your own forgiveness, the quicker you'll be able to forgive someone else. The more you realize you've been forgiven, the more you can forgive others. And so we pray, forgive us our sins, as for we ourselves forgive everyone who sin against us. And the last statement here of this dependent hope, he says, lead us not into temptation. Now of all people, Christians, we can recognize our weakness and our ease with which we can give way to the temptations of the world, to the flesh, to the devil. And so we pray to be delivered from them all. Followers of Jesus, we know that our flesh is weak. We know that we can easily be tempted and give way to the temptation. I mean, why do you think Jesus put it in this prayer? Because we can be tempted and be led astray. The prayer draws us to the Lord for help. It draws us to him as we maneuver through this world, all of us, until we are in the kingdom. We need help. We need guidance. And no one is immune from falling. No one is immune from failing. No one is perfect. I mean, you all admitted it. You guys say, I've done something stupid. You know, no one is perfect. I was challenged recently about how Christians should be more open to use the term repentance. Yes, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm also a repenter. I'm repenting of who I am and what I've done and putting my trust in Jesus. Even when it comes to leadership, we are not immune from sin. One pastor told me that a pastor, yes, should be a great example of how to live a godly life, how to say no to sin, how not to sin, but also they should be an example of a repenter. Leaders, we need to show a well-worn path from our life to the cross. Our life should be an example of repentance and complete dependence on our Savior. And so as we look at this short prayer that Jesus gives us, He's saying that this prayer is all about our dependent hope on our Father. Our hope because of the future kingdom, but humbly dependent upon God until he comes. And I realize that I'm running out of time here. Quickly, we look at the text. Jesus says to them in verse 5, 
Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey. He has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, um, I'm sorry, impudent, that's the, uh, the, I was reading from the NIV. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In the situation here, there's a small village. The shops are closed. The, ba- the household would bake its bread at night, um, and so it would be ready. And Jesus here is picturing a man who's come in from a journey. He's probably late, is in need, and because of the culture, you had to feed him. And so what does he do? He goes to his neighbor for help, but the neighbor has shut the door, and he's gone to bed. And so the man in his current situation, for whatever reason, whether he'll wake up the entire family, will not get out of bed because of the family. And if one pointed out, the neighbor has no issue with providing the bread. He just can't get, be bothered to get up because it's, it, he doesn't have the opportunity. It's, 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 um, it's not convenient. It's easier to stay where he is. But what, what does Jesus here say about the man? He was persistent. In the NIV, it says he was shamelessly audacious. He was, uh, he, he was persistent, bold, courageous, completely desperate, on the verge of being rude and asking for things. He will not go away. And one writer says, where friendship doesn't prevail here, his shamelessness wins the day. And so the lesson is clear. Prayer is not something that we play at. It's not just something that you do. It's actually real. It, we, prayer, we don't play at, but it must show persistent if we do not receive an answer immediately. It's not that God is unwilling or he must be pressed into answering. The whole context makes it clear that he's eager to give. But I think the point here is if we do not really want what we're asking for enough to be persistent, how much are we really expecting an answer when we actually pray? I think that's the point that he's trying to get a person who recognizes their need for help, recognizes their dependence on someone else, and they continue to ask shamelessly, persistently, which is Jesus then continues to give us this wonderful statement. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open and so we've seen this independent hope this persistence but throughout the passage we have this idea of trust this idea of faith we pray for the kingdom through faith through our faith we wait for our daily provisions Through faith, we know that our sins are forgiven and we keep praying to God in this way, trusting that he will take care of his people. By faith, we keep asking, we keep pursuing. And Luke writes this, reminding us who we are praying to. Which of you fathers and mothers, if your son asks for a fish, are you going to give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you're evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you? And so I think what he's doing, when a child asks for food, we give them what they need. If your children are like mine, they'd go for fizzy drinks or Coke and candy all day long if you gave them the opportunity. But as responsible parents, that's not a healthy diet all the time. So at times we have to say no and give them what they need, like vegetables or good, healthy, wholesome food. Now here is believe is some of our issues. We think many times we need the Coke and the candy. But those things, I think, are like the scorpion or the snake. There's, those are the things that we want. They're not actually the things that we need. I think, and, and because we want those things, we begin to get unhappy with God because he is not giving to us what we want. And sometimes the answer is not in what we want. It's in what we need. And so what Jesus is teaching us here, don't forget who you're praying to. You're praying to your Father, the one who is hallowed, the one who is far above all things, who loves his children, the one who um, he has provided every spiritual blessing to. So we can pray with confidence. We can pray with hope, shamelessly, trusting that what he gives to us is what we need. That's not the, that's the hard part. That is not easy. And many times in life, as we close, we don't know why God answers the way he does. Many times we don't know why he seems not to be answering. But the point Jesus is making is that we need to trust the one who knows all things. And what I found in my life, and maybe you found it in yours, that in our time of prayer, this is where we find the delight of our Savior. The joy in what he's given to us through salvation. What he's given to us, a heavenly Father. In our time of prayer, this is when all the world seems to be crumbling like the Jenga blocks. Everything's falling around. In our time of prayer, we find stability. We have a sovereign God who's working out every plan. In our time of prayer, this is where when you have failed, when I have failed, we can find hope in something that's far beyond ourselves. We find restoration. We find forgiveness. See, in our time of prayer, this is where we find the gospel. This is where we find the great news of Jesus. And so I encourage you, pray with hope. Pray with a dependent heart. Pray as it were, banging on the door and trust the one to whom we are praying to. This prayer is a gift for us. And so may the Lord help us to trust the one who is hallowed. Trust the one who is working out all things and the one who's coming again to make all things new. Thank you very much.